podcast George chief technology officer at Redpoint talks about ingredients of a technologist in data driven world so stay tuned Welcome everyone to another episode of Future of Data podcast. Today we have with us George Corujedo from um, Redpoint and uh, a brief bio on George. So a mathematician and a seasoned techno- technology executive, George uh, with more than 20 years of business and technology experience. As co-founder and CTO, George is responsible for leading the development of Redpoint's technology stack. A former math professor, George left academia to co-found Accenture's customer insight practice which specialized in strategic data utilization, analytics and customer strategy. Previous position includes director client delivery at Clarity uh, at Clarity Blue Inc, a provider of hosted customer intelligence solutions and COO CIO at Riskwity, a receivable management company specializing in utilization of analytics to drive collections so george uh, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for uh, willing to sp- share your time with our community well thank you vishal I appreciate the invitation uh, and uh, it's great to be here nice so uh, fascinating so a mathematician turned technologist <laughs> right so yep. world couldn't have been better than than these two word uh, merging so why don't you when, when st- start walk us through your journey from mathematician what you bring you here what what brought you here sure sure um well it's interesting um what drove me i think to be a mathematician and i only discovered this when i uh, was in college i think i had the realization that i um I wanted to be a mathematician because I wanted to impress my dad because he was very good at mathematics and 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 that was because we were actually in the casino business my dad uh we I grew up in Las Vegas where obviously uh you know gambling is legal and my dad was in the casino business so I as a very young child kind of lived in that world of cards and probabilities and games and gambling and uh and was always intrigued by that and my dad all had all that stuff in his head So I shot off in in college to go and study and I always had a penchant and an interest in mathematics although I hadn't intended to become a pure mathematician I studied lots of sciences and everything but eventually what happened is that I I uh, went far enough with my degree to realize that the lifestyle of a mathematician wasn't exactly the lifestyle I was really interested in and while I loved being a mathematician I thought, you know, there were other things that I wanted to do in life. So I did teach for about 10 years, which was a great experience and I would love to go back and teach as part of my retirement, but um but I I felt that it was time for me to move on and and apply those skills uh beyond the academic world. Interesting. So um fascinating by the way. I, I I'm blown away by by the transition. So now let's let's talk about Uh, what are some of the challenges you faced so right so being a mathematician now going uh, and running an organization's technology stack so how has the transition been and and how like what are some of the challenges and some of the uh, best practices you gained we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first friday fair fastest ai powered way 
to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Through journey. Well, yeah, the two worlds are very different, you know, and, and in the academic world, things move very slowly. Everything is done by consensus. Uh, it's and it's but it's great. It's it's a fun world. And at the end of the day, uh, I think teaching is one of the most noble and fulfilling uh, activities any human can do. It's uh, it's it's a way of helping people in a in a completely um, uh, free and you know it's a it's a way of giving freely to others that will help them. And math is an area that people find intimidating. And my specialty was helping them to kind of calm down and, and enjoy mathematics. So, so, but it's a very different world. And so what really helped me with the transition, so that was a big challenge for me is I, I kind of knew I wanted to do something else, but what helped me with that challenge is that I, I managed to land a position at Accenture, uh, which, you know, at that time was Anderson Consulting. And what uh, that did for me is that it brought me into the world of being an entrepreneur with an enormous, it's the mindset of an entrepreneur, but with enormous resources and foundation around you to get things done. And so it was a great opportunity for me to make that transition, bring the skills, learn the business side, but bring the, not so much the academic content, but the, the academic thinking to the table in a place where you have the opportunity to potentially make that a reality, right? So much of business, you end up undercutting the theory because you're trying to just get things done. Accenture, fortunately, is the kind of place where they'll let you play out that theory and think uh, outside the box and then make it a reality. So it was a great place for me to uh, really expand my my experience, my knowledge. Uh, I remember the first uh, client meeting I ever had at Accenture was with Chrysler. So we started big and it just got bigger from there. So um, it helped me in, in so many ways. I'm so, so grateful to that experience. It was a wonderful place to grow and to learn. Uh, you know, we always used to kid around that you at Accenture, you learn in dog years. So uh, so I quickly learned learned about business, learned about technology, learned about getting things done in big organizations and then how to bring and how to help people in big organizations they have the same uh intimidation about doing big projects and and achieving great things how do i come in there and help them take away those constraints and those blinders and say okay wave a magic wand what would you have sitting in front of you and how do we get there right and 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 that's what i do best is is help them figure out how to use technology to achieve what they thought was the unachievable. Interesting, fascinating, by the way. So uh, one thing that that I, I uh, before before I get into the your post academia days. So one thing that I definitely heard about, and from a lot of executives that we talked to, um, from who have academia background and now in data science, because they are contributing a, a big chunk of professionals today in data science are from from academia. Uh, uh, pursuing their research in in, in in enterprise fashion. So now one thing that, that we, we hear about is, um, hey, you know, with current advent of GPUs and capability of, of, of a platform out there today, it's killing the statisticians. So I remember this. So one guy who is um, uh, leading one of the one of the top insurers 
um, uh, risk practice and he was a statistician by trade he said probably i'll be the last statistician alive and uh, it's the it's because of all these uh, uh, sophistication with with graphical algorithm and everything and his perspective was very pretty cool so he said that you know mathematics was created as a way for us to visualize things right because there was no tool there was no capability so there's a circle there's a hyperbola this is projectile and then you just you just from go go from there on so right. what are some of your some of your thoughts that comes to your mind that is it really like do we will the mathematics of what what we are used to what we are raised up with will be relevant uh, as as we get into this data driven world or something we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first friday fair fastest ai powered way to find your next opportunity check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job let's get back to the podcast well <clears throat> i think it is i do think uh that unattended algorithms uh, and their, their use is going to spread and and it's not because people don't like mathematicians it's because or statisticians it's because the demands uh, for making decisions are such that you don't have time for human intervention so you have to go with algorithms that can keep up with the complexity of the environment they're in however there are still there's still going to be a need for people to figure out and develop these algorithms and to um uh to to uh, uh uh invent them to tune them and to understand and this is really important to understand when the algorithm is the right algorithm for a particular problem you know much of machine learning these days you know just throws everything in the kitchen sink and then you know mm. kind of just starts pumping things out and and um, and so you know there is some uh, some uh, uh, some judgment that goes into that, and so so that's uh, that's part of the thing of the role of the statistician. The other role, which I think is critically important, and this is really really important, as algorithms take over a lot of the decision making in real time situations with clients. Uh, or with customers, say a brand has an interaction with a customer, and they have a real-time interaction happening, and there are algorithms that are in there may helping make decisions. The 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 importance and the the human uh, genius has to now uh, be applied to the strategy for which those algorithms are being used. And let me give you an example. In a simple situation where you have uh, a, an optimization algorithm, let's just say, you know, we work a lot in marketing. So let's just say you've got a website and you've got a little div, you know, where you're gonna put a, an image, a hero image of some sort, and you have an algorithm optimizing that. Well, optimization def de or depends on a fitness function that fitness function is a KPI or some metric that 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 measures some some aspect of your business. In this particular case, you may want something as simple as click through. Great, it's very easy, very straightforward. No, no, nothing genius there. Hmm. But as but as algorithms grow, as the uh, optimization and the use of these algorithms in optimization across channels across an organization 
are used more and more readily, well then those metrics that we use as the fitness function for that optimization become critically important. Mm. And I remember reading a really uh, interesting article uh, in McKinsey Quarterly where they were talking about the importance of strategy in the world of AI because the algorithms will optimize against that fitness mm. function, but it's really up to you to determine the right fitness function. And that is gonna be the role of the statistician, I think, or the data scientist is to become a little bit more of a business person and understand mm. how the business expresses itself numerically and then understand which of these functions can be defined as the best fitness function to drive your organization forward. Interesting. No, I think well said. And and one thing I was thinking about is when you were saying, and you put it the best that um, statistician going in business functions, right? So you went to tech, that the, the technology stack. Is is that is that an advisable route? Because I think we, we, we do see a lot of statistician, mathematician looking at the business problem and, and trying to find the KPI, the quant, I think you put it really, really best at how they can sort of conceptualize a business problem into a mathematical problem and then from there on sort of addressing. Um, that's beautiful. What about um, on the on the technical side of things? Um, so is, is that an advisable, like how was your experience been uh, coming coming from uh, the mathematics side of things going into the, in, into the technology stack? Well, you know, I think the mathematics is kind of like the price of entry. Hmm. You need to know how things work. Uh, one of the things that I used to tell, excuse me, my phone kept ringing, so I was just trying to put it on. Do not, do not uh, bother me here. But um, the, um, you know, the price of entry is knowing the algorithms, knowing the mathematics. Um, you've got to understand it because if not, what happens is that you turn your power over to someone else. This is what actually what I used to tell my students all the time when I was teaching, I would tell them, look, you know, I, I would tell them about consulting jobs that I would do and I'd say, all right, I was in Miami at the time and I was building predictive models for direct mail out at the, at the Miami Herald, right? Real simple, mm. no big deal. And uh, they're selling subscriptions to a newspaper, nothing, nothing earth shattering, however, they hired me, they paid me some money, I went away, I built these models, da da da, and I said, okay, here's what you need to do. Now at that moment, those executives that had hired me to do that job had no way to tell if I had done my job well or not. True. They had no way of, de yeah. of deciding that other than, well, okay, he seems like a, like he knows what he's talking about. It was a, it was so the, I had the power, even though I wasn't part of the business. At that moment, I owned the power. They handed it to me, and so knowing the mathematics gives you the power. Interesting. And I've always really believed that if you know the details and you know how the math works, you have the power. Because otherwise, if you don't, you're ultimately going to turn that power over to somebody else to fix it for you. And so while I'm not saying that because I'm some power hungry maniac, but it's really important because if you are, if it's your responsibility to get something done, well then you better know, right? Mm. Because if not, you're relying on other people that may 
take you down the wrong way. And I may be relying on other people. I don't, I don't have to do anything. I've got lots of employees that work for me, but I have to know enough to know if they're taking me in the right direction or the wrong direction. So I think uh, having that awareness, having that understanding, being able to converse intelligently, at least in these topics, is the minimum price of entry for being part of that, uh, of those decisions. Interesting, um, interesting. So now let's talk about your current role. Like if you can, yeah. if you can walk us through what, what you do now and, and what that would be really um, fascinating. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, so so right now I am the CTO and one of the founders of Redpoint Global. And uh, yeah, and I want to make sure it's Redpoint Global Inc. It's not to be confused with Redpoint Ventures. Um, and um, so we are a software company and what we build is a, uh, a multi-layered stack that is a, a, a customer, an enterprise customer engagement hub. And what that does, uh, it does a lot of things and it's a, taking a lot of categories that the analysts pull together or, or talk about independently and, and we pull them together. Number one, is the data layer, the CDP, mm. the customer data platform. That is a very unique uh, species of data environment that is relatively new. Um, and it's designed the way we define it. It's designed to ingest batch and real-time data continually to both create and update uh, golden records in minutes, seconds, or even on demand. And so that is that is that is uh, absolutely critical in order to drive the optimal uh, real-time decision across the entire enterprise. The next piece is the analytics. We have a layer of machine learning analytics. It's all very um, very unattended uh, style algorithms that's all designed to support these real-time decisions. And, um, and so we have those algorithms available as well. We're not meant to the be the be all end all. You know, I'm a very pragmatic statistician in the, se- in the sense that the only model that matters to me is the one that works the best. I don't care who built it, let's <laughs> yeah, just true. make the one that makes true. the most money. So, so we're, our models are very good, but if you have other models, that's great. It's a wide open system. And then finally, we have the intelligent orchestration, which is really that real time engine that allows you to take the data, work off of one data set, the analytics, and then make real-time decisions across both uh, uh, inbound and outbound channels simultaneously to do uh, cross-channel or omni-channel optimization, true mm-hmm. omni-channel optimization. So it's a, it's a vision and a technology stack that a lot of people are starting to talk about. I think Gartner just compressed a couple of their reports to capture this hmm. and um and but we have the whole we've built the whole technology stack right now the kind of the the belief is you've got to build it we have the whole stack and each one of our components in an, of, in its own right is is um ranked very highly with gardner and forrester but together they're tightly integrated they work 
very, very well together, and they they form a, a, a unique and incredibly powerful um, customer uh, engagement solution for the market. Interesting. So, how much how much of your role is um, as, as as a technologist for 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 this particular product or or company is outfacing vis a vis in facing? Like, how much of your um, like if you can if you can if you can split uh, between the two like how much of your time is spent addressing customer problem vis a vis of uh, supporting solution yeah i spend uh, um i'd say it's it's probably 50-50 i would mind if it was more than that facing customer facing because the customers number one the customers are like students, you know, I, I'm helping them, I'm teaching them uh, the art of the possible. Uh, often, uh, uh, customers or brands, they, they, they get stuck in, and, and develop a comfort level in the world of constraints they live in. And what I'm there to tell them is, wipe those constraints away and what would you want? And uh, to a large extent, we can deliver that for them. Now, mm. the flip side of that coin is that you better have a strategy to take advantage of all this new technology because if not, all you're going to do is the same old thing, right? So you really have to bring that strategy, but I'm there to help them understand the art of the possible. Uh, and then I spend the other 50% of my time working and strategizing internally on the technology with my development teams. Now, I, um, I can't say... I, I love working with my development teams and inventing stuff, but I think where where a lot of the magic happens is working with clients. I, mm. I love both both parts of my job, and, and I'd say right now it's 50-50, but I think if, if I could change it, I would even move it a little more client-facing because I feel that's where, um, that's where we get the best ideas, we get the best vision, the you know, I, you know, at the end of the day, we've got a lot of smart people, but they're the ones in the field right. and they're the ones that are facing the real challenges. And so we love to learn from them and are very opportunistic in our development uh, in terms of capturing these problems and then figuring out how to abstract them and make them part of our software. Interesting. So what is, um, um, if, if you want to walk us through what is data-driven customer engagement platforms um, or I think you said customer engagement hub. So what, yes. exact, what exactly is that if you can uh, help us understand in a very layman well, term? It's, it's a way of capturing everything that's knowable about a customer, analyzing that to understand that customer in a variety of contexts and then have the ability to communicate to that customer that with uh, informed with that insight at the right moment location of their choosing because you know the world of marketing is no longer just pushing out mm. messaging it's about being ready when they come to you and giving them what they want or what they need or help them discover what they want at the whenever they decide they want to do it whether it's on their phone in the middle of the night or it's on their computer during the day or whatever the different circumstances might be, you've got to be ready and available for that. And that's what our technology does. It helps the, the, the organization, the brand, uh, speak with one voice across all their channels in an optimized way to, you know, it's all part of digital transformation. 
and digital engagement and digital experiences are all uh, technologically mediated experiences. So now, how do I take that experience, make it transformative, mm. and use it to bolster that relationship between the customer and my brand? And that's really the heart of what we do and do it on grand scale of the enterprise. Interesting. So now, as as as, as a technologist, right? So uh, your job is to support this uh, uh, customer customer engagement platform. Now uh, we know that uh, with the advent of technologies, social networks, uh, there like there's a there are interactions happening. Like every day, there's a new social network. There are new channels in which sort of customers are engaging, or at least uh, soon wanna be customers or prospects or what, whatever we call them are engaging. So how much of an uphill battle is, is this for a technologist like you to envision a, like a, and you use the word omnichannel, right? So it's a, it's a sim simplest way to explain one of the most complicated scenario ever, right? So yeah. how, how do you, how do you, like, what are some, of, what are your challenges uh, or how do you cope up with uh, keeping, keeping every, everything in radar and sort of creating some kind of ontological relationship with all these emerging platforms, so uh, if you can walk us yeah. through some of those things. Well, part of it is, um, let me think, part of it is is driven by the fact that we really understand, we have the, you know, philosophically, we built our technology as an open garden. So that mm. means that we can interconnect with virtually any other technology that might be part of the ecosystem. So part of uh, the, our approach is to say, look, you know, every company, particularly large companies, have an ecosystem of technologies that they're not going to get rid of overnight, right? So what we do is we help them find a way, and this helps uh, ease the, the, the pain and the fear. We help them find a way of instead of just scraping the floor and putting everything in there new, we tie things together so that the things they like they can keep the things they don't like they can take out and then we help become the 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 connective tissue between all these pieces between the ipads that we have in the data and the apas that we have with through microservices and being able to reconstruct our application to serve many needs uh, we can deliver a a very tailored experience a very tailored set of functionality to solve an organization's problem and and that really reduces the fear and the anxiety because truthfully what stops people is the angst of the magnitude of the change of what they're uh, uh, embarking on and so whatever you can do to make them feel like look yes you're gonna take a huge hill but I'm gonna be there by your side all the way that's what really that's what really helps and you know we just had our first customer conference last week and it was a very exciting event i was terrified but it was great it turned out to be a wonderful event and um and our customers to the last one said that they felt a tremendous level uh, an unheard of level of support from us in terms of standing by them and supporting them to their point of success right and and so that's what we do. And that reputation gets out and helps. Um, but, you know, there's always challenges. There's always misinformation. There's a lot of misinformation out there that's put out by competitors, by other people, you know, companies that say, oh, yeah, we do that. We do that. And they don't even come close to doing that. Um, they, there's a lot of fear. 
you know, and then you run into the usual things you find in large organizations where people are being territorial. They want to have their little fiefdom. They don't want to. They don't want to play nice. And right now, the companies that are succeeding are the companies where marketing and technology partner up as one, and they go attack. And those are the companies that have ambition, have vision, have courage. Those are the ones that are winning. Interesting. And I think, and and I I I love uh, how you use the word open garden. I think that's 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 phenomenal, right? So it, it so basically any future come upcoming uh, guys, if 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 you want to put something uh, that sort of can match up with the growing uh, platform out there, I think having an open garden where all these can c- come and interact would actually definitely give a, a very om- omni-channel platform. So that's that's remarkable. Now let's let's talk about as a technologist, right? As a technologist, when you look at some of some of um, some of the customers or some of the people who are deploying solutions out there today, what are some of the um, uh, things that they are doing wrong, or some of the things that some of the challenges that you see that businesses are seeing and they shouldn't see those things? Like, what are, if you can shed some light on? Well, there's a lot of companies that work in the periphery that uh, become shiny new objects. And and so a lot of companies spend money with these little companies that serve a little bit here, a little bit there, or, you know, there was the whole, the whole uh, wave the, the of DMPs that went through the world and they're going to be the next, you name it, and they became the next acquisition that got consolidated and almost forgotten. And, and so... Uh, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of the next new shiny thing in marketing, and it's problematic because if you don't have a solid foundation, and it's really like anything, if you don't have a solid foundation, then it's really just not going to work for you. And and when it comes right down to it, the single most important part and the biggest mistake people make in marketing, and, and I think in a lot of areas that are data-driven, is not getting the data correct. And, and merged and cleansed and, and ready for use. Um, uh, I don't know if you know the a fellow named by Scott, Scott Brink, by the name of Scott Brinker. He is a, uh, a big speaker in, you know, Mark Martech and, and so on. And, and he, uh, he, he had the keynote at our customer conference and talked about the idea that, you know, that um, artificial intelligence and machine learning, they've already overtaken the world. They're everywhere and they're being used everywhere. What the only thing that limits their application is the state of the data. And the thing that still limits analytics is that most companies are dealing with lousy data. Mm -hmm. And until you clean the data and perfect the data, and curate the data to your purposes and really spend the time and energy to get that data in that perfect structure, format, the golden record, whatever it is you need, nothing's gonna work right. Mm. And so we spend, we obsess about data, we spend an enormous amount of time focusing on the data and, and making sure that the data is correct for our customers to then go and launch these strategies uh, effectively and successfully. Interesting. And and what are some of the things that um, that you see businesses doing right? That you are you are like <clears throat> you are always uh, given this pleasant surprise that hey how ca- how would you figure this thing out? It, 
So what are some of the things yeah. that you see from the customer end or, or from your interaction with the, with, with the outsider, uh, with outside uh, vendors or, or that you're constantly surprised that businesses understand uh, what, what yeah. they're talking? Well, I'll tell you the businesses that impress me are companies that have figured out that marketing is highly technological and technology uh, really doesn't understand marketing. And so you got to bring the two together, right? And where I've seen the greatest success is where you have VPs of MarTech or VPs of innovation that are looking for ways to help the company move down that digital transformation path. Uh, those are the companies that are succeeding. Those are the companies that are winning. And they are the ones that I'm always stunned by because so, you know, in most cases, you have to be the proponent of this vision. It's a, it's a wonderful situation where you walk in and they already have the vision and they're just looking for how do we get there? Because then I've got a simple answer for them here. I hand you the, the blueprint on how to get there. But, uh, but sometimes they don't have that. But if they do, though, that is certainly something that merger of marketing and technology, uh, I think is a very important uh, partnership that I see that works very, very well. That is one thing. The other thing is that there are companies like Capital One, like others, that live and die by the quality of data, and their success lives and dies by the quality of their data, and that's it. I mean, the companies that really know how to succeed, big, uh, even legacy companies like the big banks and everything, they understand the importance of data and they succeed by the quality of their data. And those companies always really impress me because as big as they are, they get it. And they don't let the, the, the complexity of the organization stop them from doing the right thing. Interesting. I think, so uh, you raised an interesting point, by the way, so uh, about data and, and the bridge between the data and, and, and analytics, right? So say marketing or customer experience and the yeah. data. And we we hear this thing surprisingly a lot that um, uh, some businesses are really amazing at capturing data. Like they have freaking every possible right. bit that, that they can get their hands on to, but the, they lack the ability to analyze that uh, right. properly, right? And some businesses are amazing with analytics. They have best proof, like they know what they're doing, but they don't have any data. Like they, they, they because the, it's not in the culture, they want to do everything right, but they don't, they have forgot somehow how to like capture everything so they can decide what is right. So what are some of the recipes, um, if suppose I'm a startup today, right? So either you could, and it's, it's very, like both worlds are very tempting, right? So I can put logs, everything, and then say, hey, I'll look at it in the future, right? And soon the company is billion dollar revenue and and the future never happened. And now yeah. I don't know where, where to analyze <laughs> that. And on the other okay. side, I said, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll capture, I just know my customer and I just capture really great and never focus on anything else that's happening around the world. And then again, billion dollar revenue later, oops. Uh, so what are some of the, some of the practices sort of bridge the gap between the data and, and, and analytics? Well, the first thing I'd say is that if I did a startup and I re I achieved a billion dollars in revenue very quickly, I don't know that I'd worry too much about the data because <laughs> whatever's working is fine. But, uh, but, but, but th that being said, uh, I, my bias is more data, in general is better. I'm not saying you keep everything. You try to get, I, I think uh, storage is cheap enough 
that you, um, my bias is for more rather than less. So you keep as much data as you can practically. But then what's really important is, again, is to have a strategy, a vision. Hmm. How am, am I as a brand, as a startup brand or as a legacy brand, how am I going to create a transformative engagement experience for my customer? And then as I do that, then I can back out to what data do I need, right? So I'll give you an example. Let's say, for example, we have a scenario where a housewife or, or a working mom is run, is take, went for a jog, is walking in through her front door, and her phone crosses a geofence of her front door, and the refrigerator wakes up. Refrigerator says, welcome home. Here are some recipes for today based on your likes, the food inventory, and your caloric intake. And, uh, and so on, right? And how long based on the time of day and everything. Well, what do I really need there in order to do that? Well, I need to know the inventory that the refrigerator mm -hmm. is gonna give me. I need to know the person's preferences that I can either ask up front or figure out over time as they use and eat and, and prepare meals. Um, I can also need the data, I will also need the data from their uh, motion uh, tracking device, right? So that's a, uh, an, a mobile phone connection in, to their, you know, their, their uh, iPhone, uh, Apple watch or whatever. And then I'm going to need, um, you know, it, some sensitivity to kind of her rhythm and routine, right? And, 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 and kind of what time of day do they need something shorter or longer? But if you think about the data needed for that, none of that is particularly difficult data to get, right? Mm. But I, need, I do need to bring a few pieces of data together. I may have to create a data partnership with whoever the, uh, the, the tracking device is. But in a, but in a real quick uh, analysis, I've determined all of the data I need to really figure out that problem really effectively, right? So I would start always with and and really be creative push yourself to think as creatively as possible uh, about what those transformative experiences are that you would like to uh, present to people and then work backwards from that onto what data do you need to do that there's a certain core of data that you're always going to need about people but then beyond that what is it that you need to create that transformation and and again it's push the envelope, be creative. And uh, I think you'll be surprised that you can find the data. Interesting. No, I think well said. Um, uh, yeah, uh, couldn't agree more. So n now let's let's talk about the, te the technologists today uh, or the leaders that are emerging in data science. So if suppose I'm I'm coming from the, from the technology end, and like, what are some of the tenets of successful leaders in technology today? Like if what are some of the recipe or, or ingredients of successful technologists today that, that, that you, you want to see or you see well, your thoughts? I think, I think it's really important as a tech, and probably as any kind of leader, but in technology, I think it's really important to be, to have a commitment to, tr to the truth. And what I say by that is that I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, leaders or technology leaders might have a bias for deception, but it's easy in technology to develop a bias for technology. Mm. I'm a Linux 
zealot or I'm a SaaS zealot or I'm a Windows zealot or whatever. And that bias now, now starts to color uh, your world. Well, that may be all you know, but that's your limitation that you've got to overcome, right? What you have to be is knowledgeable in all of the technologies because the one thing you know about technology is that every bit of it has benefits and trade-offs and you've, the, the trick to success, the key to success, and you, everybody knows this, but doesn't always follow it, is getting the right technology with the right set of trade-offs to solve a problem. And all too often, I see departments that are gung-ho on, you know, AWS or on Azure or on this or on that, rather than analyzing the problem, stepping back and saying, this is going to be best solved with a Linux Docker and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, to create a swarm and this, you know, it just, people just get really hung up in technology with their biases. Mm. And I think that is something that is, I, 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 it hurts me when I see this because I almost feel like we are in a special position because we've spent the time for whatever reason, we're introverted, we're nerds, whatever, but we spent the time to learn this knowledge about the technology. And it's critical that we tell the truth and that we tell it like it is. Not only will our clients respect us more, even if we tell them things they don't like, they'll mm -hmm. respect us more and trust us more if we tell them the truth. And it, it just stands to reason that if we do that, then we're gonna be more successful. So I, I just think that that often is lost, you know, that personal bias, personal preferences often, you know, get argued for rather than a, a true pure analysis is done of a situation and then a recommendation based on that. We've, you know, we've turned clients away because they're not ready for our technology. That's just the fact, right? It's good for them to know that so that they can pick the right technology. And it's smart for us because if not, we're not going to let them fail and it's going to cost us a lot of money to try to support them. So we know when we don't belong, so we tell them, right? And maybe someday they'll be at another company and they'll say, hey, you can trust this guy. They'll tell you the truth. And that I think is the single most important thing that a technology leader can do for his customers and for his team. No, I think it's, it's uh... I, I absolutely love it. I think technology bias, right? So, it's let's let's. I, I want to spend some more time on 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 that thought because I know, tech, like as a technologist, you have a lot of power now because of all, how yes. the world is emerging and now it, it's it's all the more critical. It's now part of the every corporate DNA fabric. It's it's part of the culture now. It's just it's just getting ingrained in. It's like it's it's your nervous system now for most of the businesses, right? That's right. So now once you are actually controlling the nervous system and you have a bias. It's a problem. So now, what are some of some of your thoughts or hacks or suggestions you have to sort of address that bias or to mitigate that bias? Well, what I what I do is I try to come in prepared with uh, a, a tremendous level of knowledge, and if I don't have it, I bring other people right that do have a broad spectrum of knowledge and people that are also that also share that 
passion for being unbiased, right? That will look at Windows or look at uh, Linux and and see the pluses and, and minuses of either one and not be, you know, all, you know, uh, get all crazy about using one or the other. And if I, if I don't have the knowledge, I bring people with me. But I think it's all about knowledge. It's all about uh, testing. It's all about experience. It's all about looking at technology and being able to call a failure a failure and learning from it and calling a success a success and learning from that right if you're honest with yourself you've seen the 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 technologies that you are real zealous for fail in certain circumstances that you have pushed them for so be honest step back look at that and then, you know, recognize that there are other technologies out there. And, you know, technology is not a lifestyle. It's not like, you know, I'm not mm. walking around like, hey, you know, I'm a Linux guy, you know, and I have it branded on my chest. There are people that live that way. You know, it's the coder lifestyle. Hey, you know, that's what I do. And they have all these attitudes about one technology or another. You just got to put that away. If you want to be a mature, a mature technology leader you got to get past that and you've got i mean you know some people are zealots for open source well mm. i got to tell you in the world of hadoop i've seen a lot of very poorly written code and mm. so you know what what you know hadoop is great for some things but it's not the be all end all and some of it's written like crap so you know you can't it just nothing is magic everything has its trade offs and in order to be able to represent that with a client, you, you as a technologist or as a te technology leader have to be well grounded in those technologies and understand what the realities are. Interesting. No, I think well, well said. And and I, a bunch of my interaction with some of the, some of the successful uh, technologists, I think the, one of the constant recipe that I've heard, if you can afford is have more than one vendor, right? So. So that will, if, if you lock in, hey, my X percentage of the business or X percentage of, of the logic would be entertained by either a competing solution or whatever, right? So that, that is a technologist will keep you, keep you sort of in check when it comes to bias. I think there were there, there are a lot of interesting hacks. One more thing I, I, I definitely want your perspective on. So it's, it's appified technologies today, right? So technology is now <laughs> shrinking and, and containing in an, in an appified manner instead of now buying the entire suite of uh, maybe Oracle or IBM, you can just go and buy an, a, 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 very, a very sort of app um, that can analyze a specific use case. Now, as a technologist, how much of a migraine does that give you? Or how much of uh, do you see as, a, as, a, as an opportunity when, it, when sort of you, you, you think about managing your business in future or helping businesses in future? Like how how is, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing with this or some of the opportunities with, with what with ibm and other big companies with with basically with, with with the idea of appified analytics right or appified uh, oh, application oh, applications yeah, yeah, yeah. applications well you know it's it's just like anything else you know it's like these companies what they are 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 marketing companies and they happen to market technology right uh mm -hmm. they are great at marketing and creating buzz about things but i think the the the, the blanket uh, recommendation I would make for everybody out there is always stay close to the fundamentals. The fundamentals are there, 
are they are what created these things. And if you look past the shiny veneer, what you will find is that the fundamentals work as well or almost as well as some shiny new object that you're being asked to pay incredible amounts of money for, right? If there's a real business case and a fit and it's going to save you money or something like that, well, then perhaps perhaps it's worth it uh, to you as a company to go out after that. But what I can tell you is that most cases, it's just a lot of hype and you're really not going to get that much value. You're not going to get that that much value out of it uh, is as you know, as is claimed. Right. Uh, there's a lot of technologies out there that claim all sorts of tremendous value. If you just do this, the world opens up to you. Well, doesn't you know, it doesn't really work the way, you know, as they say, if it's too good to be true, it usually is. Interesting. And now let's talk about um, uh, let's get back on, on the startup mode. So if, if you if you are coming up with a solution and, and you want to put together a technology team, what is like what would be an ideal candidate uh, to you? Like if, if, if you are if you are recruiting a, a technologist or a CTO for a very early startup, probably data driven. So what are some of the tenets that you will see in that in that candidate? Let me think about that. So I'm starting an, a startup in the data and analytics world, and I want and I want uh, what characteristics? So I think certainly a very solid foundation in in mathematics um, <clears throat> and statistics, if they like, uh, and coding. I think it's important that they do have some coding background. Beyond that, though, this might be a little counterintuitive, but I'd like to see them in situations where they apply mathematics, like physics. Some of the smartest and best tech technologists that I have ever met in my career have been physicists. Hmm. And cool. part of that has to do with the rigor of thought that physicists are trained to live by with the rigor of observation that they're trained to live by, that they don't get caught up in these biases and these whims, you know, that the, the things they deal with, and again, it's really all about the fundamentals. They learn that the laws of physics are eternal. They're, they, they are what they are and you can't right. change. And, 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 you know, and we use that term around here all the time is that you can't defy the laws of physics, right? You know, and things work the way they work. And, you know, and, and, be, and if somebody says, oh, I can turn silver into gold, well, good luck, but I don't believe you because that just doesn't work that way. And so I like people with that pragmatic kind of foundational experience in life, right? Whether it comes from physics or some other applied uh, um, uh, science, but not just mathematics. I want an application and the pragmatism that comes from working in an applied uh, in, in an applied field. Interesting. So, uh, well said. I think e even uh, I, I remember a couple of years back when we were hiring a bunch of uh, data scientists, we picked up astrophysicists. I think most under underserved person, but most proficient uh, folks. Because at that, I think what I loved about um, their um, background was so they're in a profession of finding this this tiny hump or tiny sort of blips, right? So they have the patience, they have the rigor, they have like, and so it, it was fast. Like no one was looking at them, sort of. They were really well, good. It's, 
Yeah, they're they're looking for enormously and, subtle effects. Right, right. And so, yeah, I know I did I did my uh, thesis work in uh, in planetary physics and had to do uh, had to study analyze the light curve that came from an occultation of one of Saturn's stars by mm -hmm. our moon and 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 the effect that I'm looking for is minimal right. and from this effect I'm actually deducing the height of the cloud layer in that moon it's an extraordinary combination of things and I'm using high powered technology I'm using some really ancient mathematics and uh, and and the and the and this planetary understanding to put all this together it was wonderful but that's the type of, of pragmatism and mm. patience that they bring yeah great great so now now let's let's talk about um, your kpis as 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 a leader today as a, as a technologist uh, for a, for a data driven customer engagement company so what are some of your kpis that you that you care about well i have uh, regular meetings with my team and one of the kpis that is a, kind of a soft kpi is the level of energy that's in that call every every week Right. Uh, when we get on the phone, you know, how excited are the people about what they're working on? Uh, how, um, you know, how creative are people being about uh, their their solutions they're coming up with? How well are people interacting with one another? Are they cooperating or are they, you know, fighting? Right. Or are they combative? Right. That type of mix to me is very, very important. And, and if you listen to those calls, I really look for cooperation between the different members of the team. Uh, I look for people, you know, people in, in, in my organization have a great deal of freedom to do what they want to do as long as they get their core job done, right? If you want to go work on some other problem and come up and be, you know, uh, and come up with some magic solution, we encourage you 100%, and and we get a lot of those, and and when we get those, we celebrate them, and it's just wonderful to have that type of spirit, and everybody, uh, re, you know, really celebrates that type of effort. Um, so so those are the kind of the things that I'm looking for. They're not really tangible, but but they're very important day to day metrics on on the on the health. Uh, the mental health of that group you're working with. From an, another KPI is just simply, are we getting code out on time mm. and how well written is the code? How many bugs are we finding each cycle in the field rather than in testing? Um, and um, and so, you know, and, and I, I rejoice when we make a change to our QA process and we find that it really has an effect on the on the quality of the code that gets shipped, so um, so that's uh, that's a part that I think is really important. And then the final piece that I, or the final metric that I have is: Do we always have more ideas than we have time to code? Mm. And I always want to be in that place where we have too many ideas and not enough time to code because. As long as I'm there, I'm forcing it's forcing me to optimize, to prioritize against reality, against my demands from customers and 
organizational demands. Uh, also, it's, it's helping me understand what is the single biggest best way to spend one dollar, right? Mm. How, what's the best way to spend that dollar? And then the other part is it also tells me that the team is their creativity is on. You know, if the team's creativity is clicked on full blast, then we're all bringing as much as we can to the table. So those are kind of the things that I look for. If I find that a member of our team isn't quite up to that, I always reach out to them and try to, you know, kind of find out what's going on and um, and kind of help, you know, help uh, 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 improve the situation. Uh, but those are kind of the things that I look for, you know, some some hard and some soft. Interesting. So uh, thank you so much for walking us through that. So one more thing, uh, as a technologist or as a technology leader, how do you keep yourself updated on what's happening on the technology stack, on technological world? So what are some of the like, thoughts? Uh, how do you keep yourself updated? Oh, I, I read technology you know, the technology garbage that comes running through my phone all the time, I read it incessantly. I read it in the car, I read it when I'm in the bathroom, <laughs> I read it all the time. I am, so I, I read that stuff constantly. I don't necessarily, you know, I read it more for, <clears throat> like, you know, you read it at this level, but I interpret it at this level. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that I don't, <clears throat> get too worried or too hung up on the details, I try to think of what does this mean in the bigger picture, right? And so I always understand not just that this happened here, but that this is reflective of a trend that's mm. maybe happening, right? So that's what I'm always looking for. But I do read a lot and, uh, and talk to people and talk to customers and talk to other technologists. But that, you know, that seems to be the only way to really keep it. And then I talk to my staff because they read a lot. They're always sending articles around as am I uh, that are interesting and relevant to our business. Interesting. So, and, and one question is, so what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? Or do you, or do you, or do you ever sleep? Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking, when was the last time I slept? No. <laughs> Um, no, I think I think on a professional level, what keeps me up at night is um, is time. Is you know do you know how? What keeps me up is how are we going to find a way to achieve the vision that we have? Right? Uh, how do we find the resources to get there? Because there's always more. There's always mm. more to build. More vision. So that's what keeps me up professionally is how to, how to get more out of what we have and how to get there faster. Uh, personally, what keeps me up is um, when I don't live by my own rules. You know, I think, you know, somebody asked me once uh, this a similar question in an interview, uh, what, what gets you down, what gets you depressed? And what gets me depressed is when I do things that I don't believe in. And so I have to, I have to stay within my belief system kind of keep my head straight interesting wow so now let's let's we're, we're almost at the tail end of the, of the of the interview by the way and thank you so much uh it, it's it's been fascinating so let's let's talk about your favorite read like do you like if you if you share sure. what you want to share with our with our folks your favorite read well i my my favorite book of all time and i read it periodically is to kill a hum uh, to kill a mockingbird and uh and 
at, at the risk of sharing lots. There, a lot of those characters, let's just say, have some uh, participation in my passwords. Let's, mm. I'll just put it there. Mm. I won't tell you why, but, but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I love that book because of its sense of justice and, mm. uh, and truth. Right. And those two things are very important to me. And and the and I think it's it's one of the finest representations of justice and truth that I've ever read. So that I love. That's my my all time favorite book. I also really like reading Emerson, uh, you know, and the, and the essays on self-reliance, um, because I think I really am a firm believer that the only thing that stops you and prevents you from achieving your goals in life is your personal fear. It's you. It's not anything in the environment. It's you, right? And so, so, so anything that helps me confront those internal fears and overcome them and move forward through them is something that I love. So I find that helps me do that, as does rock climbing. Rock climbing really helps me, you know, face fears, sit nice. with them, and then move past them. Nice, nice, awesome. So that um, as a as a last um, uh, question that I have for you, any closing remark for our audience? And and again, George, it was it's 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 a pleasure uh, having you, and and thank you so much for sp spending time. So if you can share your closing remark with our audience. No, I I just want to th again thank you all for taking the time and the invitation. I. Uh, I feel like these things are, are a privilege and, and I do appreciate being on. Um, I just want to say that, uh, you know, um, uh, there's a lot of craziness in the world and, and I think truth and justice are really important and um, as we were talking about and, and I think there's a role for that in technology and, and you know, justice is a, a maybe a little bit different thing, but, but telling the truth think straight, talk straight. That's something that I learned at Accenture. I think it's one of the most valuable things I, I learned at Accenture. And I think uh, I think we can use as much of it as we can get in the world. Interesting. And with that, uh, thank you so much, George, for sharing your technological thinking with our audience. And it, it, it's, it's been a pleasure. You're always welcome to come back on a show and share and, and talk it out. And thank you so much. And I, again, I do appreciate you sh sharing time with our audience. No, thank you so much, Michelle. Appreciate it. Awesome. Uh, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it. And I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a certain...